Hey everyone. We recorded this episode while watching the YouTube live stream of SLIM, the Japanese space agency's smart lander for investigating the moon as it attempted to stick the landing on Friday the 19th of January. Now, landing on the moon isn't easy, so Emily and I knew that there were a few ways this recording could go. It could all go brilliantly and we'd end with jubilation over at JAXA Mission Control. Or it could go badly and we'd finish with something suitably downbeat, yet philosophical. But the third way it could have gone is where we wouldn't actually know whether Slim managed to land safely or not. Things might get complicated and we'd be left in podcast limbo without a satisfactory answer one way or the other. And because the gods love nothing better than a good laugh, that's how it turned out. As of the end of this recording, JAXA was repeating that they needed more time to determine Slim's status. And could everyone please just wait patiently? Not long after we hit stop on the recording, JAXA held a press conference in which they announced that the SLIM mission was a success with a big asterisk. The lander had managed to reach the moon's surface, it had deployed both of its little rover buddies on the way down, and it had achieved one of the mission's biggest aims, which was a precision landing onto an absurdly small target site. Unfortunately, what seems to have happened is that maybe, on landing, the craft tipped over too far and rolled a bit which pointed its solar panels in the wrong direction. So for a few hours, Slim used its onboard battery to send some data before shutting down, in the hope that eventually, as the sun moves across the lunar sky, it shines on the solar panels again and recharges the battery. There should be more news in the coming days and weeks about exactly what happened during the landing and the fate of Japan's first lunar lander. In the meantime, enjoy this Syzygy episode in which Emily and I tune in for the exciting ride of Slim's drop to the moon's surface. Episode 117, Slim Chance of Moon Landing? And welcome back to another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. My name is Chris Stewart, and I'm sitting around the round table in the office of one Dr. Emily Brunsden. Emily, how you doing? Hello, hello. I'm well, thank you. Good. Today's a pretty exciting day because we've actually got something going on, like right now, right that now. we are tuning into. What's, what's happening? Why are we actually gathered at this time here today? Yes. Well, I would like to dump this a, a version of Syzygy that Syzygy... Almost live. Almost. Yeah, I guess that's right. You Almost know, live. I mean, we always record it live because we're here, but that yeah. doesn't really make any sense. But on this occasion, it's kind of doubly almost live yeah. because we're actually looking at something that is happening live yes. right now while we're recording it. So you, listener, you're like one step removed from what's happening live in that it's not live anymore. But we're watching something which is live. And what's that? Yeah, we are watching the Slim Moon Landing. The Slim Moon Landing. And this is Japan. This is yes, JAXA, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the cool. Japanese uh, space agency, um, uh, well, going for so Slim was launched a few days ago. It is now on route to the moon. Hopefully, in around about as we speak, 20, 25 minutes, it's going to insert itself into the moon's its sort of moon orbit um, descent mode, and then it's going to descend to the surface of the moon and land really nicely. And in about twenty minutes after that, we'll be able to say, "Hooray, we've got another." Lunar lander. It's that 20 minutes of terror, right? Where everyone back at mission control in Japan, wherever wherever that is, not Houston, obviously, but whatever the city that it is in Japan, everyone's going to be sitting there going, oh, please let this work. Because mm. we've put a hell of a lot of effort and money and time into this one. And this is precision landing. This mm. one, isn't it? This one's really interesting. We'll get into all of the details. We've got a little bit of time before we have to sort of tune into Emily's laptop, which is sitting here on the table, which is showing images in the background. We've got a little bit of time before we really need to start paying attention to that and going, what's going on? So we'll go through all the details of the mission and everything. But yeah, this one's particularly interesting because it's kind of a precision landing. It's yeah. not just, we'll plonk it down anywhere. This is precision. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we can start with... Identifying, I guess, so SLIM is itself an acronym. Yeah. Uh, you'd imagine so because I don't think it would be normal to call your lander SLIM unless it was. There's acronym. a reason for that. Yeah. It's one indeed. of those names where, hmm. Yeah. So it means smart lander for investigating moon. 
Okay, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. It's, it's I, think, I think we first talked about Slim. It might have been very quickly in passing, but going back to May last year, mm. we did an episode, episode 105, if you want to go back and listen to that one, where we were looking at the year ahead, mm-hmm. 2023 and beyond, and there were a slew of missions which were heading to the moon. And this was just one of them. Mm. There have been a whole bunch, some successful, some less than successful. Um, We'll we'll revisit some of those, I think, today. Yeah, have a look back and see how that year's gone. But this was definitely in there. Mm. And so it's kind of nice to see it coming to fruition. Fingers crossed for the Slim team. We'll find out very, very soon. So, Emily, where do we start? First of all, let's... Let's just have a quick look over on the over on the laptop. So we're we're watching this on live on YouTube yep. right now. And which channel are we watching it on? Is we're it the Jackson channel? We're watching Jackson channel, channel yeah. Where they're live streaming at the moment. It's one of those wonderful things where like nothing's actually happening. We've got another twenty odd minutes until the really exciting stuff happens. And so this is all filler. And so we've got a bunch of people in a studio. They're probably. Jacks are experts, and they're pointing at props. Mm-hmm. What props mm-hmm. have we got? We've got uh, a map of the moon. That's, yep. that's I'm guessing we sh- we're, we're discussing where we're going to be landing today. Yes, yeah, so they're pointing at the landing spot now. Yep. We've got some fairly awkward shuffling around of different props. We've got things which look like maybe um, little prop representations of what's actually on the spacecraft, mm-hmm. so we'll have to have a bit of a look at that. But the bottom line is they're filling for time yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's Gonna take the next. 15, oh, we've 20 got months. some things in the background to point to as well. So oh, further yeah. maps of the moon. And yeah, pointing like at maps and yeah, lots of lots of pointing and gesturing and and fun stuff. Okay, so we'll leave that. We'll come back to that, Emily. Yes. Tell me about this mission. Yes. So the nickname for Slim is Moon Sniper, which I think is an excellent nickname. Moon Sniper. That sounds a moon bit. Sniper. It's getting across a sense of accuracy, but it's also a bit violent. A I little think, bit. Could we could we have done that in a different well, way? I guess. Maybe moon, some things are lost moon in translation dart here. Thrower. Darts are big in the news here in the UK at the moment. So <laughs> we could have anyway. Right. Moon sniper. Moon fine. Sniper. Okay. So moon sniper. It's designed the mission is designed to to use smart technology to land under incredible precision. Meaning so this is probably something actually don't, we don't appreciate. When we talk about things like um, other landers that have been to the moon, we can even refer to, for example, the Apollo eleven mission, probably the most famous landing mission of all. These missions went with basically a box plastered onto the surface of the moon saying, we're going to land somewhere in this box. <laughs> so, And it's a fairly large box. It's a huge box. For Apollo 11, it was 20 kilometers long by five kilometers wide. Wow. Okay. So that's an enormous landing strip. Yeah. Within which, and I don't know, did, did you ever see, uh, it came out a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago now. Well, I mean, it would have been 2019, I'm assuming, to coincide with the 50th anniversary. The um, the documentary movie that they put out where they took all of the original footage and mm. remastered it. Did you see that? I did, yeah. It was Absolutely amazing. stunning. And and the detail of that landing sequence where it suddenly becomes apparent this could go horribly wrong. Mm. Like it, it was this close mm. to going horribly wrong. But, yeah, really quite clear. They don't know where they're landing. It's somewhere in here. Just keep looking for a good spot and aim for it. Yeah, Not so, too hard. Exactly. So there's a couple of things. There's a, first of all, there's the, um, very, when you make very, very, very small changes to orbits, when things move very, very slightly, that translates to obviously large distances covered on the surface of the moon. Yeah, they're, they're moving fast until yeah. they get right down to the surface. They're really whipping along. Mm. And then there's when you get to the a point where you can actually see the surface detail, much more detail than we can ever map from the Earth or even from uh, orbiters, then you suddenly say, oh, that's a big rock over there. We probably shouldn't land on that. <laughs> and so you've got to make a, some adjustments, right? Yeah, which is what they were doing on the way down in, in uh, with the Apollo 11 landers. They was like, no, not there. <laughs> not that bit. We're about to land in a big hole. Over over there a bit quick just just trust me i know what i'm doing really terrifying stuff so that's not what we're doing here we're not sort of laying out the big 20 kilometer long stretch and saying somewhere in here good luck mm, what are no. we doing instead this is this is precision landing so it's pointing it's finding a spot and landing within 100 meters of that spot. 100 meters yeah wow and that 100 meters i mean you still have to have some kind of 
wiggle room because if you've chosen a spot that does happen to have a massive boulder that's bigger than your lander, then you know you want to be able to move at least to yeah, the side a you little want, bit, right? You want a little bit of latitude, <laughs> yeah. I guess, to go, ah, uh, that was really not the right place to mm. go. Um because you don't know until you're there, right? Unless unless you've already visited that exact spot on the moon and mapped it really carefully, you don't you don't know. So exactly. you've got to be able to sort of wiggle it around a bit. So 100 metres mm. is – that's really quite small. It's very high precision. Mm. So the way this is done is very, very cool. So all, all through amazing technology. And what they've done is they've taken uh, from various high-resolution mapping surveys of the surface of the moon, they've taken that information, given it to – basically the lander, who as it's descending is going to be using facial recognition technology to kind of say, well, that crater must be that one on the map and that crater is that one on the map, so I must be about here. And that's kind of stage one of its mapping the surface as it comes down and picking where it's going to sit, if you like. And then phase two is it does a live kind of scan of where it thinks it's going to land and then goes, oh, nope, that's 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 nasty. I'm not going near that. I'll just move over here a little bit. That's, that bit's covered in trees. That bit's a swamp. We won't go there. You yeah. Know. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so it's using existing mapping and, as you say, sort of recognition technology to go, I know where I am mm-hmm. and this is where I'm aiming for. And then it's backing that up with, yeah, but that's a bad idea because there's a bloody great boulder there that we didn't actually notice, mm. that kind of thing. Exactly. Great. Yeah. So okay. it's making these decisions autonomously on the fly because the communication is always delayed, right? And it's delayed by far too much for us to be What is the delay this. to the moon? So it's, oh, I haven't got the numbers. It's eight it's, minutes to the sun, yeah, that much I know. but It's even a few fractions of a second is too long, right? Because you're moving so fast as you're descending, you can't make decisions quick enough to be doing that and then have the communication delay. Yeah. Even if it's a matter of, yeah, like fractions of a second or a couple of seconds or whatever it is to the moon and back, um, by the time you've done that, you're on the boulder. Exactly. And that's not good. Yeah. So so this is, yeah. So that's the smart part. Brand new technology that we're being tempted to, to do this semi-autonomous landing. That's very cool. And I mean, to be absolutely clear, we should have point this out there's no one on this right there's no (laughs) No, there's no human beings on here so that's good so even if this does go horribly wrong today as we're watching it live on youtube live streamed to the world even if it does go horribly wrong and just crumple into the surface that would be really really sad indeed but no one's gonna die no so we're okay that's all right yeah and we should probably temper our expectations because looking at even recent statistics on the success rates of these missions, we've probably got about a 50-50 chance of right. this working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as mentioned, we had back in episode 105, we talked about like half a dozen different international missions going to the moon in sort of the past year or so. Is, can we go through some of those? Like what's been happening? Yeah. I mean, there's a few. I've, I haven't gone through every single one, but there's been, I mean, there's been a flurry of activity already this month and mm. we're only, you know, two-thirds of the way through it. It's only January, for goodness yeah. sake. There's a, there's a lot to go. Yeah. So um, the, I guess the the most recent one actually yesterday was the, the big day, well, the big finale, if mm-hmm. you like, for a mission that we talked about in our last episode about moon landings, which was Peregrine. Mm-hmm. You might remember Peregrine. Um, um, that was a private company called Astrobiotic that was taking a payload of some scientific instrumentation. So, for example, NASA had some instrumentation on board, um, but also a whole lot of private companies and individuals were paying effectively to put their stuff on Peregrine. And Peregrine was designed to land uh, on the surface of the moon. But unfortunately, so it was launched, I think, around the 8th of January, mm-hmm. um, but not long after launch, it was noticed it had a bit of a propellant leak. Yeah, things weren't going terribly well no. quite quickly. Got off the ground, got in space, fantastic. Oh, no. Yeah. This is not going well. So it wasn't going too well. Uh, and so it was always designed to go sort of to the moon, have a have a loop around, come back, and then after go back, back come back around Earth and then return to the moon to land. Oh, okay. So it was always designed to have a little bit of a loop. So it was going to go out to the moon, back, out to the moon again. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's an out to the moon's orbit. Right. So the moon wasn't there when it when it left. It headed to an empty point right. on the moon's okay. orbit, came back to Earth, and then but the second time it was going to go back to the moon's orbit, the moon would be there. Right. Because the moon had I guess, moved I mean, around. It makes sense. Orbit. I'm not yeah. quite sure why you'd do that, but I'm sure there's a reason. It's just to get all your orbital dynamics right. Right, it's okay. It's the gravitational sure. 
assistance. Look, I'm prepared to believe that there are people who've done the maths and they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, unfortunately, it was quite clear that if with the propellant leaks, they, couldn't, they didn't have the, uh, sufficient control of the spacecraft. They didn't have enough to slow the um, spacecraft down enough. It was going to smash into the moon and make a terrible mess. And so the decision was made to instead divert it into Earth's atmosphere and burn it up. All right. So when it did, did it, so did it do the part where it goes out to the moon and comes like out to the moon's orbit? Yep. So it did that first bit and then right. on its and return to Earth. We're just going to crash it. And that yeah. happened yesterday? Yesterday it, it crashed yeah. into Earth's atmosphere and ended up, um, I believe, in the spacecraft uh, graveyard. Mm, which is? Uh, in the middle of the ocean, mm. sort of between New Zealand and. New Zealand and South America? Yeah, yeah no, no, it is between you and New the Zealand Pacific. and the US. Yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the, yeah. There's sort of this. That big oceany bit. Yeah, there's like kind of, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a specific point in the middle of the ocean where. It's kind of the furthest from any inhabited land. Right, <laughs> just to be absolutely sure. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they've been dumping stuff, spacecraft there for, for a very long time. I'm, I mean, I'm surprised. Like, like this would have been a sizable chunk of stuff, but I wouldn't have thought it would be that big. I'm, I'm kind of surprised it didn't completely burn up on the way through the atmosphere. But Yeah, um, yeah I guess it was a few hundred kilos of yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 Probably I mean, best to point it towards the ocean, yes, really. Yes, yes, Apologies to all whales and fishes. And they must get a heck of a fright. <laughs> yeah, God, the hell was that? So that one didn't go so well. No. Um, any others in recent memory? So there was, I haven't got the, the the dates written down, but there was very recently, of course, also uh, Luna 25, which mm-hmm. was the Russian mission. That one also very recently failed as well. So Just points out this stuff's hard. Failed, yeah. This stuff's hard. I mean, we need to remember that, that, you know, Apollo 11, they landed people on the moon and that was pretty amazing. That was the 11th one. Oh, they got away with that one. <laughs> and they did get away with that one. Yeah. Like, that was really, really hard, and that could have gone horribly wrong. But there was also, like, the 11th one. Oh, yes, yeah. And there were previous series of missions before that mm. just getting people into space, getting into space at all. Like, this was the end of a very long run of missions just to get people onto the moon. These ones are typically kind of, the you know, the the, the first of their particular kind. And so when it goes wrong, um, it's maybe not – so surprising. Maybe it's just pointing out just how hard this stuff is. Yeah, and it is incredibly hard. I was looking at sort of just a, a few ways of representing the success rates of of moon, lunar missions over the last, you know, sixty years that we've been doing this. And um, you look, and of course, in the early days, almost everything fails because it's the first time you're trying it. This is the fifties and even the sixties. Things were this things is were hard. hard, really, this really is hard. hard, right? Um, and then things got a bit better. I mean, obviously the um, the level of effort you put into ensuring something is going to work goes up many, many orders of magnitude when humans are involved. Yes, yes. So whilst you might push to get an unmanned spacecraft going because you're under different sorts of pressures, you'll never make the compromise when you've got humans involved on that spacecraft. Yes, yeah, it, it does tend to sort of focus the mind and and the attention and the effort and the budget. Yeah, and if there's any concerns, even very, very, very minor ones, they will always be resolved before you attempt that, right? Well, I mean, you hope so. That's the, that's the idea. It hasn't always gone that way in the history of, of uh, human spaceflight, but as, you know, to, to within first order, that's the way it goes. Yeah, I think the stats are around 95% success yeah. for human manned missions. So, you know, obviously much more... Success, but for the unmanned ones, yeah, not so much hmm. because you are always pushing boundaries as well. Uh, and then you sort of so, when if you talk about the historical sort of context, then we had the 50s, 60s, loads of stuff going in, a little bit in the 70s. Then there was a kind of a 10 or 12 year gap where nothing happened in terms of lunar missions. I guess everyone got busy doing other things, yeah. Uh, then slowly, I guess, in the sort of 90s, started clawing back a few missions. It's little by little, having more and more. And now we're in a very interesting era where we're not talking about just space agencies, national agencies going to the moon, but we're now in the era of private commercial missions. Yeah, that's the big difference, right? That that going back even just a, a decade, it was all about NASA and the the Russian Space Agency and China was just starting to come onto the scene and, you know, a small number of others. 
but it was entirely government-funded, big national space organisations. And then the last decade, maybe maybe two decades, but really the last decade, that's completely changed. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I, I, there was someone on the on the news yesterday. I heard um, talking about this mission and talking about how it really does depend on these collaborations between you know, organisations like JAXA and NASA and so on and private companies like SpaceX and so on. Without that, it will not happen. Mm, you know, exactly. we've really moved into a completely different era now. Yeah, and with that commercialisation comes a different mindset, I think, as well. Commercial companies do have perhaps a different view of risk. Um, if you're, you know, got investments, then you also have different I guess, pressures, you know, your investors are expecting you to to get on with it. They've paid you money to to sort this out. You've got to go. Yeah. And in the the, the sort of modern era of entrepreneurial business where it's, you know, spend lots of money, break things, but have really big successes when you have successes, Mm. um, you know, that that means an entirely different kind of, of mission brief, I guess. Again, it'll be really interesting to see what happens when humans are involved because that's not terribly far away. Where, you know, for example, SpaceX is going to be putting people into its, you know, manned capsule sitting up on top of the rocket and throwing them up into space. And, yeah, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. But to truly reinforce this is hard. I mean, even the Artemis program, which is the next human mission to the moon run by NASA. Uh, So Artemis is still, they've just pushed back everything by a year, right? So we were expecting to have people orbit the moon this year. That's pushed back to September 25 Mm -hmm. and equally landing another year after that. So I think even NASA sort of thinking, this is a lot harder than we thought. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the technology's come a really long way. You can get lulled into a sense of of uh, confidence by looking at, you know, snazzy new spacesuits and rockets that can land back on launch pads most of the time. Um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that huge amounts of explosives sitting in a long tube with people on top of it is a really, 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 really dangerous game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think they've, they've had two trials of the rocket that's going to take up people, neither of which are <laughs> were successful. Yeah, I'd be I'd be feeling a bit nervous about that. Yeah, yeah. Next, next try in February. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll have another go. Yeah. Anyway, listen, back to the mission du jour, yes. literally happening as we speak. Hmm. We'll be checking back in with the live stream shortly. They're still working their way through all the demos on the table back there at, uh, at Jaxa Central. <laughs> yeah. um, tell us about the mission. What is it for? So I think really at its heart, it's a technological challenge mission. So they are trying to show that they can do this precision landing. That's a huge part of it. And there's two payloads really on board, apart from the sort of your normal suite of kind of a few sensors on the lander itself. But there are two, only two payloads, um, and they're both objects that are designed to leave the lander. Right, okay. Um, so we've got Lev 1 and Lev 2, um, and Lev 1 is a hopping robot. Hopping? Yeah. Like kangaroo style? Yeah, a little bit. It's, it's almost – I, the video uh, I saw of the um, the mock-up of it, it's almost like a, a little explosion goes off and it goes, and sort of pop, bounces. <laughs> like one of those little crickets that yeah. sort of just springs off across the grass. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and that's got a few. Why? Why does it do that? Surely rolling. We, wheels. We did the wheels thing quite some time ago. We've had that for a while. Yeah. We know that works. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. If, if, you, if you recall back into the deep, dark depths of time when we had the Apollo landings, Mm -hmm. wheels are quite difficult on the moon because the surface is uneven and there's this layer of, you know, very fine, dusty, silty material. Right. That clogs things up. Yeah. So not not so good for wheels. Wheels are actually quite tricky. I mean the buggies did all right in the end, but the first they've had they had quite a few troubles with them uh, on the moon as well. So we're gonna try hopping. So yeah, there's tiny, they're tiny little things, right? They're they're really little. So hopping is is going to be a one to test. When you say tiny, like how big are we talking here? I think the hopping one might be sort of a little bit bigger, maybe shoeboxish size, but the other one, Lev two, is baseball size. Okay, so what's Lev two? It doesn't hop. No, it it rolls. Right. But it's it's quite a different sort of rolling. Mm-hmm. It's a rolling where, um, so it, it is literally the size of a baseball. This rolling robot. And it's designed so that it sort of 
pulls apart the two hemispheres of the sphere and then there's a little camera that kind of comes up in the middle and then the two halves can twist and turn so that it can get over obstacles that are in its way and sort of climb almost a little bit as it rolls. That's wild. That sounds like something out of out of science fiction or a you know crazy Japanese you know cartoon. That's that's wild. Well, funny you should say that because this the whole design of this rover, I guess you would call it mm-hmm. in its own right, is it's been designed in a partnership with JAXA and a major Japanese toy company. No, really? Yeah, yeah. So a company called. Um, Takara Tomi, or it's a multinational company in the UK. We know it just as Tomi Toys. Massive, massive toy manufacturer. They make toys for with Pokemon, with Thomas the Tank Engine, Disney, like a huge number of toys. That's wild. That's so cool. They're not. They're not the ones behind Transformers. Are I think, they? yeah, yeah, I think the Transformers. We're getting a Transformer on the moon. That is so cool. It's very, very cool. And actually what was very cool is that uh, one of their most popular baby toys is a little toy which my son actually has and is absolutely obsessed with, just loves to bits, and they're called uh, Squeaky Eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure if you have a child who is of a certain age. Of a certain age then you will have come across at some point these squeaky eggs. Squeaky eggs on the moon. That's a, that's a contention for the title of this episode, I reckon. But anyway, that's, yeah. that's so cool. I love the fact that you would take a toy manufacturer who specialises in how can we make things that turn into other things and use that knowledge <laughs> in order to do something really clever on the moon. That's awesome. Well, it makes so much sense when you think about it as well because not only are they – you know, mechanically driven toy company, right? You're making toys that move, but they're also making toys that are safe for children, right? They have Mm. to pass a whole lot of safety tests and standards. So they have to be very, very robust and very, very mechanically simple as well. The fewest possible moving parts. And these are also things that translate quite well to space exploration. That's really clever. I love it. Okay, so those are the the two little, I mean, let's call them rovers, but neither of them are rovers in the way that we know it. One of them hops and the other one is a squeaky egg, which is like, that's so cool. What are they trying to do? What, what are the mission parameters? What are they trying to find out? Um, well, I think 90% of it is just do these things work? Can we make this happen? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because there's not a lot of, I guess, what you would think of scientific instrumentation on these. I mean, they've got a few sensors. There's some temperature sensors, some inclinometers, uh, as I say, some cameras, radiation sensors. But they're really, I think, secondary to the mechanical design tests. Right. Okay, so this is a proof of principle. I mean, you wouldn't go all that way and not take some data of some kind, but that's not the point. Mm. The point isn't to go and sort of drill into the surface and go, oh, look, we found stuff. It's can we actually get there, land in this precision way, and we've got these two little dudes who are then going to go and do their thing, and can that work? Mm. Can the hoppy thing hop? Can the rolly thing roll? And great. We can use that next time to do something else. Yeah. And, you know, the really cool thing about these little, well, at least particularly the what they call SoraQ or the the Lev2, um, you can actually get your own. I was, what? I was, I was quite enamoured by this. Well, of course you can. I mean, you're not going to partner with a toy company without the toy company going, oh, and by the way, <laughs> we're going to be selling these. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for sale in Japan, although you can get them through eBay, uh, you can buy your own version of this little Luna robotic brilliant rover are they just little little models or do they actually well, no, do they stuff? actually work got a full camera and everything Seriously? in them they operate oh, the so same cool. way and you got you can get the app to go on your phone so you can brilliant. drive it around your house brilliant I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they probably don't have the hoppy one because that sounds to me like a no no i didn't see the hoppy one like a safety nightmare <laughs> just you know hop that into someone's eye yeah, yeah. No. but the little the little drivey roundy one, I'm, I'm doing the whole like two thumbs <laughs> yes, thing. Yes, yes. Emily's if... controlling it with her thumbs right now yeah. on the app. Um, in her mind. If anyone wants to uh, wants to sponsor Syzygy for this episode and send us one of these things, any listeners in Japan want to do that, we'd love to receive one. I think that would be awesome. Mm. Imagine that as a home monitoring security system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is like something out of Star Wars. I love cool. it. Absolutely love it. All right. Well, look, I'm just looking at my clock. And it's just gone three o'clock here in York, which means it's just gone midnight in Japan, which was the time that they were planning on actually doing the sort of 
coming out of orbit and starting to head down towards the surface. So maybe we should just check in. Yeah. What's going on? We're so, looking at the live stream now. Can you interpret any of this? Uh, there are some graphs. There are graphs. There are I can graphs. see I can see a picture of the of the spacecraft with its what presumably a solar sails sticking out showing that it's doing its thing. But there's a graph. What is the graph showing? Uh, the graph so is showing altitude on. versus downrange. So currently well, I, I'm guessing that big drop-off is we're going to land. Yes. So at the moment, it looks as if the spacecraft is sort of doing a little up, whatever that means, getting itself into position, getting ready to then drop down onto the surface quite precipitously, which that's the entertaining part, I'm guessing. Shall we just start, shall we just quickly tune in and have a listen to hear what the level of excitement is? And in the second control room as well, that they are seeing the same exact uh, telemetry as we see here on the screen. So just trying to determine at the moment whether everything's going okay or whether there's a problem. I think everything's fine. No one looks particularly panicked. No, they look the normal level of anxious. Yeah, yeah, an appropriate level of anxious. I can, you know, the, the white line on the graph, I'm guessing, is this is where we want it to go. And the red line is this is where we're going. And they seem to be pretty much lining up. They seem to be good. Yeah. So that's good. I'm, I'm always bemused by, uh, this happens with almost every mission that you, you watch a live stream of. They always show you as much data almost as what's being fed into the control rooms often without any explanation. Yes. So you're seeing there's some bars that are that are going up and down. I think that's a good thing. There are some there are some dials that show 100%, 100% good. But some of them aren't on 100%. And is that is that good? Is that bad? Is it meant to be at 45%? I have no idea. No idea. But by the same token, if it just Altitude showed a single is graph, now 20 kilometers and this is the face of the first boost. And we will keep going. Oh, we get, we're approaching the phase of the first boost. That's that sounds significant. I think fingers crossed for that first boost. Yeah. But I was just going to say, if it if it just showed the graph, then that almost sounds a bit too simple. It it's does. Like, it's yeah. like there's someone there with a joystick going, eh, "Just bring it in now." It's like, no, we want we want to know that this is complicated and hard. Mm. We want to cheer along with the them. Altitude is now reaching 25 kilometers, and it will now go into coasting mode. Well, everyone's sounding very calm and composed and sort of focused mm. right now. So mm. I'm I'm interpreting that as, I think it's going as pretty well. good. I think we're yeah. I think we're going all right. They, they seem happy. Yeah. Everyone everyone's very focused down there at Mission Control over in Japan. So that's good. Mm. Things seem to be going well. Yeah, I just noticed that the hundred percent have gone to zero percent. I'm Ooh. hoping that's Well maybe that was the maybe that was the boost part. And now it's not boosting anymore. So now it started to scan on the moon's surface. So it's looking for the exact place to land. Ah, okay. So the scanning procedure has started. It's scanning the, the lunar surface. It's looking for where it's going to go to land. The which altitude is, is just about 25 kilometers. What did they just say? 40, 25 kilometers. 25K. So it's 25K above the surface. Mm. So they've just got to get it 25K down. Easy. How hard can that be? It's only the hardest 25K. On. It's harder than the getting it off the earth. It's, it's getting up to the very top of the uh, of the little bump that it does in altitude before it then drops down to the surface. So Slim is going into the second phase of boost. So now you can see the engine uh, firing. Uh, okay, so those oh. graphs that you were looking at, Emily, that's the engines. That's ah, the engine engines part. So when it's on 100%, it's like, yep, we're going. And when it goes down, it's just turn them off and just coast. Because as we've said before, the hardest part of space exploration isn't actually getting faster, it's slowing down when you get there. That's right, that's right. You know, getting getting out to another planet's orbit or the moon's orbit isn't actually that hard. It's the stopping part yeah. so that you don't whang straight on past and sort of, you know, disappear off into the depths of space. Yeah, yeah that now part's really important, particularly if you want to land on the surface. And the red uh, trajectory is going on the model. It's so about to do its descent down those last 25k. The In the meantime, yep. um, why are we doing this? <laughs> why are we like we did this, didn't we? We we've been to the moon. There's only so much you can do on the moon, surely. So why are we? Like I know we probably talked about this back in May last year in episode 105, where we talked about all the different reason, all the different missions going back to the moon. But just remind us, like, why are we doing this? Well, it's, yeah, it's very interesting, the moon, because it's one of these two, I think, pronged 
questions that we have. There are two ways that you might want to look at some good reasoning why you would want to go to the moon. The first one is we know that we're going to go there someday as a human species. It's it's obvious we are going to colonize in some way, shape or form the moon. It's just it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, whether, whether or not that is a good idea, it is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's some sort of semi-commercial, semi-scientific interest in how does that happen. So one of the big questions that is trying to be addressed by things like Chandrayaan um, or indeed some the of these Indian, other. That was the Indian mission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who went to the pole, the moon, is if we have a moon base, uh, then where's the water going to come from? Yeah, because we kind of need that. If we're we going to be up there, that. we're going to need water. Hmm. So does the moon have water that can be extracted that can be used for such a base? Again, we're parking the whole question of should we do that? Mm-hmm. Let's just let's yeah. just answer the if we were the to, how interest. might we do it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The commercial interest is basically, you know, who gets there first and who gets to then charge for that water in a sense. Great, good. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, there's all that. Yeah, and of and the technological development that's going to need be needed to support those kinds of missions, and because of the privatization of the space, effectively, then companies are vying for a share of that market. Um, So there's all that side of it, but there is still genuine. I guess what you'd call primary scientific interest in the moon itself. And whilst we're out there exploring the universe, exploring galaxies, exploring stars, exploring planets, um, getting more and more information about all of those things, some of that, particularly the world of exoplanets, actually feeds right back into how the questions that we want to ask about the moon because the moon is a part of the formation of Earth. It's a part of the story of the formation of the solar system. And this is our closest example we have of a planet-forming system. We need to use what we have around us to help us understand planets around other stars. It's the only one that we can relatively easily actually explore and investigate and sample directly by literally picking bits of it up. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we could do that with Mars a bit. We've got little things driving around up there doing stuff. They're but picking up stuff. We haven't brought it back yet, no, of course. No, no. The bringing <laughs> the, back part's really important. hiding it under rocks for us to go get one day. Yeah. So in, in terms of actually understanding planets and planetary things like moons in the universe at large, between the Earth and the moon, mm. <laughs> they're, our, they're our two best ones. Exactly. It's so there's a lot still to be understood there. It's all origins. It's origins of Earth. Where did the Earth come from? Where did the moon come from? Um, what was the ancient sun like? Because the moon has this untouched preservation record, basically. The Earth has tectonic plates. It has weather. It has water that disrupts everything. The moon has very little of any of those kind of processes. Right. So whatever happened to the moon a very, very long time ago, there's still record of that relatively easily retrievable. Mm. You know, maybe maybe bits of it have been slammed into by other bits of rock from time to time. That's what all the craters are. But otherwise, as you say, it's not like, you know, some of it has slipped under a continental plate and disappeared into the into the, the core of the core of the moon. It's just there. Yeah. It's still there and we can see that. And that cratering in itself is a record. It's a yeah. record of the bombardment history of our place in the, in the solar system, right? We can see craters on the moon that are much, much older than the craters that we see generally here on Earth. Yeah, because they have all weathered away or been swallowed up or, you know, turned into mountains or whatever it might be. Mm. From a scientific point of view, there's actually still a lot of point in going back. Mm. And technology's moved on since the 70s. Indeed. Turns out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we want to do more. We want to. Have, we have different ways of testing materials. We have different questions that we want to ask about them. And that's, I guess, circling back, that's why missions like this are so important. Because if you want to go and sit your lander in a crater, you need to have a much, much smaller hitbox than a few kilometers. You need to be able to direct it quite uh, precisely to where exactly the type of material that you want to study is actually located. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a really good point. You know, the the, the more that we're going to be heading up there to 
research stuff, to look for stuff, to, you know, land things where people might live, you know, mm. you want to do that reasonably accurately. You can't just fling them down across a, you know, 100 kilometer long stretch and then drag them together. Mm. You need that precision. Yeah. And you exactly. need to put it ideally close to the things that you then will need while you're up there or you want to explore while you're up there. So, yeah, we need to be able to do this. Mm. So there's lots of really cool things, I think, to be done in the moon over the coming decades. So missions like this, testing out the technology, testing out the the precision, the, the smart lander mm. idea, uh, really important. Let's check back in, see how they're doing. All right, so I can see the graph. We're still on the graph. So Things seem to be going below, okay. Altitude 15 kilometer, it will start the coasting again and then try to do the image scanning. Okay, so we're still image scanning. We're dropping down. We're about 15K yeah, from, yeah. The, from the surface. So we're on the way down. Still looking like we're close to the graph. So that's good. Looks like the boosters are off now. Mm -hmm. So second part of image scanning, I think this means the, I guess, actual mapping. Now you can see the engine has stopped like 0%. So now it starts cruising and trying to see um, the surface. All right, so we're looking down so at the surface. scanning right now. Scanning, trying to see where it's going to land and sort of cruising its way down. And yeah. soon we'll probably see the third phase of boost. So we've got to pick a, pick a spot without a rock. <laughs> yes. Pick a nice cosy spot. To, and then put the engines park. on to slow you down and point you in the right direction. It's hard stuff. It's insane. I think it's very easy to be flippant in thought about, well, the moon's just there, right? It's only, what, 30 widths of the Earth, effectively, away from us. And so this, this should just be easy, right? Yeah, piece of cake. We, and we've, we've done it. Like, <laughs> well, we did, we did it in the 60s. Come on, that was yeah. ages ago. How hard could it be? Yeah. So it's easy to think that. But when you come wrap back around to, this is not something that you can get even the smallest thing wrong. Every single part of an incredibly complex process has to work exactly 100% as you intend it to because even the smallest deviation will fail the whole mission, right? It really does kind of point out actually like it turns it around and, and takes you from this should be easy to I'm amazed we did it at all. Mm -hmm. Like exactly. the landing of the people on the moon in 69 and then several times after that in the 70s just feels like it's a miracle. <laughs> How the hell did that work? That shouldn't have worked because you look at all the the space-related stuff that goes wrong regularly with launches and missions over the last decade or so. I'm just it, – it is quite staggering that we got there at all. Exactly. That's ignoring the fact that, okay, yes, we are pushing the envelope now. We're really trying to do stuff like landing rockets again, you know, landing the bit that you didn't <laughs> yeah. send up into space and landing it back again. Like that's a whole other order of magnitude harder. Anyway, let's switch the sound back on because I can see on the screen it's getting pretty close now. Yeah. I yeah. wonder if we're going to, like, I don't know, do they have cameras on it? Are we going to be able to see? There are That would be Ooh. nice. Ooh. Oh, we've swapped graphs. Yeah. Don't know what it means now. Now it's been changed. VDM. Now starting the vertical descent. Ooh. Okay, vertical descent. So we, we were in sort of, you know, parabolic form, <laughs> flinging our way through down towards the moon. Now we're coming down to watching it actually coming in vertically. So looking at the graph, we're around four kilometers up. So X axis is the west and the Y is south. Now, so in the graphs, instead of moving the spacecraft now, we're moving the axis. <laughs> spacecraft staying where it is and the moon is coming towards it at speed. Vertical descent. You can see on the, uh, on the engine graphs, sort of flinging themselves up and down as it's sort of adjusting itself. Yeah, just slow it down just a little bit. Move over that way a bit. Uh, a little bit slower, please. You'd be a bit nervous at this point. It will descend around 500 meter and it will start the first hovering okay so they've just said that around about 500 meters it will hover for a bit put on its uh put on its engines and and sort of hang out and go are we sure we should there's no rocks yeah. so it's now closer than the international space station is to earth how far is that about 2k wow 
That's crazy. You could almost touch it. That's silly. It's one of those facts about space that just feels wrong. <laughs> it does feel wrong, doesn't it? Around 500 meter, it will start doing the first hovering. Okay, so we're approaching the hovering point. 500 meters, which is like, we could see that out the window here. Mm. Well, that's not far. Mm. It's just over there. It will be a short time, but it's, this is the first hovering. So the first hovering. You want to get this right, you know? I'm trying to think, what's 500 meters up in the air? Things like microlights? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of skyscrapers are much taller than that. It starts to descend again. And next aim is 50 metres. Okay, so it's coming down. It's done its hover. It's checked out what's below it. Satisfied. Yep, we can keep going. It's coming down to 50 metres where it's going to stop again. So at the next point, it will scan again to see if there are any obstacles or boulders. It's a very careful lander. I like this. Yeah. I like this approach. Everyone's still sounding very calm. Mm, there's some nice background music yeah. as well. Okay, the engines are just switching on again. We're coming down to the 50 meter mark. We're just going to hover. Still not seeing any images though. That's a shame. This is the second hovering. Now it's looking for the safe place to land. Which you'd think you'd be able to see from 50 metres. Looking for a safe space to land. It's always worth double checking though. It's going down. (gasps) Around the two metres, it will release the lev. And it will land. Two-step landing is expected. Well, it kind of looks like it's on the surface to me. I guess we'll tell when the engine stops. And everyone starts cheering. Now you see on the left-hand side, MLM. That means it has landed. Woo! From Go, little lander! It shows the sign MLM. MLM means it's landed. I think we're on the surface. Woohoo! I'm not seeing the champagne. No, everyone's still sort of very, hmm. From the telemetry, what we see is the slim has landed on the slope. Slim has landed on the slope. Good. I guess what they now need to figure out is, yeah, but is it still working? (laughs) Like, is everything okay? Come on, come on. No one pops the champagne until we're sure. No, no. I wonder if there's a person who's officially got the role of announcing well, the success. Hit the, hit the champagne yeah. pool, surely. It looks like on the telemetry that Slim is on the surface of the moon. Well, the telemetry says that Slim is on the surface of the moon. I kind of think we figured that one out already, but it's nice to know that the telemetry agrees. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, there's not really any other options. No. <laughs> well, I guess it could be in the surface of the moon. Well, that I guess there's the other option, really, yes. isn't it? It's... Yeah, I'm guessing that's what we're waiting for, confirmation that it's... Spread across the surface of the moon is another possibility. That it's still in one piece. Yeah. We're now checking the status. Is everything working? Tones of voice sound okay still? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From the screen, the slim is on the moon. We are checking the status right now. Still waiting for updates. Yeah, I mean, no one's, no one's sort of, you know, got that nervous crack in their voice. No one's, no one's sounding like we just lost hundreds of millions of dollars. No, you wouldn't want your face to be on television, though, whilst no. you delivered that news, would you? I, I, I do feel for... <laughs> their media people would get a lot of training. <laughs> We are now checking the status of the SLIM. It looks like it has reached on the moon from the screen that we see, but we are checking the status. Can we see how many people have tuned into the live stream? Does it say that? What is it, about 41,000, 42,000 people currently watching? I'm sure there's multiple channels. This is, I guess, the one that's relaying in English Mm. as well. Mm. Japanese channels will be mm. very popular, I'm mm. sure. Although it is the middle of the night, so that will temper it a bit. But. No, no. <laughs> this was the, checking the status. Your, your country's first, well, hopefully successful mm. moon landing mm. uh, after a second attempt, I think. I think you'd be excited to, to see the outcome. We are still checking the status. <laughs> Come on. It's a little bit like when you're waiting for something to refresh and you're just on your phone yep. and you're just continually pulling it down. It's like, are you sure it's refreshed? Are you sure it's refreshed? <laughs> Has are anyone sure? tried that actually? Maybe they should just pull down to refresh. Mm. Have you tried turning it off and on again? These guys in the studio must be 
really wishing that there'd be an announcement soon. Yeah. Wait, I can't go back to the props now. <laughs> <laughs> really makes you think about things like, you know, the Apollo 13 mission where they had, like, it wasn't like any TV station was going to tune away from the story, but you had, like, days We're still checking to fill. the status, so please wait. Okay. We're still checking the status, so please wait. We're waiting. Yeah. <laughs> We're waiting. It is kind of nice, though, to have a have a space mission where, I mean, it's not like the stakes are really high on this one, but it's kind of fun to be back in an era of, geez, I really hope this works. This mm. is exciting, mm. you know? Yeah. I mean, the stakes are very high, obviously, for for some people. Yeah. No, <laughs> and look, for Japan, a... I think, nationally. Um, but not, no, you're not as, not as high as putting human life at risk. No, and it's it's not like it's the only one. Like if no. this one fails, it's not like, oh, well, you know, we, we tried. <laughs> we'll never do that again. But it's it's part of this new era. And particularly as some of them have failed, mm. um, you know, a non-zero proportion of them are failing. Um, it's kind of fun to mm. be in an era of this is pushing the envelope in a way which they were doing back in the 60s and 70s, doing things for the first time. It's kind of fun. Yeah, but yeah, coming back to imagining the emotional nerve you would have had to have with very limited information. So for we are the still checking the status. So we closed um, this session at 12.30. And later on the same link and the same website, that um, press conference will start. So please come back to the press conference. We are, we are still checking the status. Mm. I'm starting to worry now. <laughs> so the announcement that they've just made, and it's now 3.28 p.m. local UK time, which means it's coming up to half past midnight Japan time, uh, is that they are going to stop the broadcast. They're still checking the status of Slim and that they will be um, starting up the broadcast again with a press conference in a little while. Hard to know exactly what that means, Emily. That could be just, this is all perfectly normal. We knew it was going to take a really long time to get the status, or it could mean everything's gone horribly wrong. Or it could mm. be something in between. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's kind of, I think, three main options, right? Yeah. Either everything's gone well, but we're just tri checking everything. We want to make sure we're at that five sigma level of confidence mm -hmm. that everything is going well. You don't want to announce too early that everything's fine and have everyone pop the champagne for the then turn around and go, oh, actually, no, sorry, it's all just fallen over. So you want to be really sure. Mm. So that's one possibility. Or something has gone wrong and trying to figure out exactly how to phrase that and explain that. Or maybe there's just not enough information to make that call. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, those are, those are, ah, those are, those are the, the only options. options. Everything's fine. We're just being really careful. Everything's not fine. And we just need to find the right way to say that in our own time. Or we're not sure. <laughs> we're just checking. And this is going to take a little while. This is not going to make Kevin listening. <laughs> we don't care if you're live streaming this on YouTube. That's your problem, media team. Our problem is we've got a little thing on the moon that we're trying to take care of here. So, look, Emily, we're, we, it might take us a little while to get an answer to this one. Yep. And we shall see by the time this podcast goes up whether or not we've, uh, or, you know, by the time we finish recording today, yeah. whether or not we actually have an answer to that. So in the meantime, can we talk a little bit about, like, you know, we, we, we talked about why we're doing this mission. And we talked about still there's science to be done, as well as all of the, yeah, there might be money to be made on the moon side of things, which we'll just park that for mm -hmm. a moment. But uh, I kind of feel like, particularly as we are going back to the moon in large quantities and numbers over the years to come for various different reasons. It's not just, can we get there at all? Can we put a human footprint on the moon? It's, yeah, but what's there? What might we get our hands on? It's kind of an ethical side to this. Should we be doing this? And if so, how should we be doing this? It's going to be a big part of the coming decade of space exploration, I reckon. Well, it's already started. I mean, the questions are already being raised. Um, so the moon obviously isn't owned by a single nation. It isn't owned by by even the, uh, the Earth itself, really. Um, so its regulation is fairly light. 
uh, mostly done through, I guess, agreement rather than through any kind of international law and policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've come across these kind of questions before. You remember one of our reasonably early episodes in Syzygy was we talked about Space pigs on the moon. Yes, that's right. Where, where, um, remind me what happened. Something slammed into the moon. Yeah. So the Israeli uh, lander Bereshit, as part of its payload, had some tardigrades, water bears, um, and ultimately ended up failing and crashing into the moon. So there was speculation, this is harking back to 2019, but there was speculation that maybe those tardigrades have survived and because they're hardy hardy little creatures by, they're yeah, by, crazy by definition yeah. yeah so we've just potentially i mean pretty unlikely but it does raise the interesting question like maybe in principle we just put living things on the moon should we have done that yeah <laughs> like, is there should we think about this before we go and start you know, contaminating the solar system. Yeah. So there's there's questions like that. I mean, even this Peregrine uh, mission um, carried on board with it something like the cremated remains of 70 humans and a dog. Oh, good. Um, So, you know, the moon has cultural significance to almost every human culture, if not every human culture on the planet, right? And that significance is diverse amongst lots of different peoples to some peoples the moon is an ancestor and um there i read a an article written by an indigenous uh, indigenous american who was just talking about how as an ant they viewed the moon as an ancestor and therefore putting human remains on an ancestor is kind of a not very nice thing to do uh, so there is discussion within NASA and American space exploration programs about, well, maybe we should be consulting with, you know, indigenous people about the science that we're doing and what we're trying to do. And, you know, when we are doing things like this, maybe we should think about that. But then that's also a very American USA centric yeah, view what, in itself. <laughs> what about the rest of the world, exactly, for example? Exactly. Yeah. So if another private company from another country does the same thing, what, how do we work with that it's it's a huge question that nobody has i think any particular way of addressing at this point but we should definitely be thinking about these it's nice to know that that someone is thinking about it i don't have an enormous amount of faith particularly when there are commercial interests involved because that typically doesn't go particularly well what we normally do as a species is go and exploit resources and then when we're forced to we think retroactively about, uh, well, okay, maybe we should have done that a little bit differently. We don't tend to do that. No. We're not very good at that as a species. Um, it reminds me a little bit, I was reading the other day about um, you know, geoengineering and climate change and should we, for example, there's, you know, there's all sorts of ideas about flinging stuff up into the atmosphere or into the oceans in order to try to help uh, control global warming. You know, and there are there are quite established ways that we could do that, but should we do that? How much testing would one want to do before one tried that? But then the question comes up: Yeah, but someone could just go and do it anyway. Hmm. You know, like a, a rogue country could just say, "Well, we're going to do this to try to save the planet. What are you going to do about it?" It's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> and in a similar way, someone could send a mission to the moon and go, "Well, we're just going to start digging." What are you going to do about it? Okay, try to try to talk you out of it. I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's not obvious yeah. at all how we should be approaching this. But I think, I think as you say, I think our technology and our um, ambitions are outstripping perhaps our considerate considerated thought um, on these kind of topics. So, yeah, hopefully, mm. hopefully we can sort of start to because. I think almost everyone feels uneasy a little bit about colonizing the moon because everyone knows that that's a sensitive thing. We've got a global history, several several um, colonizations, <laughs> whether it goes back to, to Mongols, to the British Empire, to Spanish Empire, whatever. None of them have been particularly good for Nobody the people who were there. Nobody feels good about any yeah. of those. Well, some people do. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a little bit like Antarctica, right? We have these agreements about what we will and won't do with Antarctica. And no one owns Antarctica except that kind of everyone owns Antarctica and different countries have split up different bits of Antarctica. And 
No one's kind of gone there to really start drilling the hell out of it yet. But you know that there are people who would love to do that, mm. who would just love to put the big machines up and start drilling. And it's, yeah, you know, it's hard. Yeah. So I think I think it just we need we need to think about it. Mm. I'm I'm sure it will all go really well. <laughs> in the meantime, in the meantime, Slim, we still don't know. Yeah, this press conference has been delayed. So good luck. Um, yeah, hopefully it's okay. Um, but let's take a little forward look, okay. shall we? Let's. Perhaps. So just in the next month or so, so February 2024, we've got two missions to the moon to. To look at. Yeah, who's doing those? Well, so the first one's one from Intuitive Machines. So this is another private company, US company, that's going to um, attempt a lander on the moon. I seem to remember we talked about that back in 105. Mm. That's IM1 or something it's called. Yeah, very Very imaginatively named. Creatively, yeah. So again, a mixed payload of um, some scientific um, instrumentation as well as uh, some private just Let's put some of our stuff on the moon, mm-hmm. which is a thing. Sure, but it's a but it's a lander, so yes. it's going to be we're going to be doing this thing again. Yep, indeed. Yeah. Yep. Um, one of your favourites, as I recall from the previous episode we did on future moon missions, the Doge One. Remind me, why is it Doge One? So it's uh, a Canadian company, but it's the first mission that is being funded entirely by Bitcoin. Oh, that's right. Yeah. God. Okay. <laughs> That one's coming up. It hasn't so that's, died. That's an orbiter. Yeah. Good. CubeSat, basically. Yep. Well, um, well done, everyone. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, again, two two private ones. Uh, then in March, there's going to be, um, perhaps less excitingly, but uh, another relay satellite for the Chinese Lunar Exploration Program. Mm-hmm. So they're getting another relay up there. For, so this is infrastructure, yep. basically. Yeah. Yeah. For more towards the South Pole of the moon is where they're going for. And then following that in May, we've got Chang'e 6, mm-hmm. which is another lander um, from China. Um, but it's also going to have uh, Pakistan's first uh, lunar oh, wow. part, if you like, and which is an orbiter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a joint mission where um, Pakistan will mm. have its first crack at It's amazing how many different nations are getting involved in all of this. Like like loads of the, the world's powers both you know superpowers and some superpowers like mm. there's there's lots of people involved yeah so which i think is a good thing it is yeah i mean it does force us to collaborate a bit mm. more which is good mm. it depends on how you do the counting really to, to if you wanted to count how many countries are right. for example involved in lunar missions um because i was looking at this because there is the obviously the with um slim landing um, should it be successful then this japan will become the fifth country to have successfully soft landed on okay. the moon so usa obviously yep uh russia yep uh china yep india yep india china yeah and now but yep. we hope successfully japan yeah but obviously there are other countries that have stuff on the moon mm-hmm. um so um israel <laughs> israel has, <laughs> has parts on yeah. the moon uh the uae um has a has some stuff yeah and uh, Russia, well, depending on how you count countries, Russia compared mm-hmm. to the Soviet Union. I mm-hmm. mean, and uh, indeed, maybe Pakistan mm-hmm. and um, have ca- um, Canada having an orbiter as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and interestingly, moving beyond can we sort of get to the moon and land something on it, but rather getting, as I said before, the sort of infrastructure up mm-hmm. for future missions. We're kind of laying the groundwork out for. Yeah, no, we're just not. We're not just going back here once. We want to have a presence mm. on the moon, and that's that's the thing that's going to be really interesting in the years to come. Is is sort of laying out that pathway for we're going to put stuff there, and we're going to leave it there, and we're going to keep taking stuff to it, and we're going to build that, and that's going to become a thing with people and little rovers and stuff on the moon doing their thing mm. in the not too distant future. Indeed, which is kind of wild. So I think we'll bow out with um, the the message that's currently on the screen on YouTube uh, about the press conference which is coming up, and it just says, please wait for a while. (laughs) Well, Emily, I think that probably (laughs) this episode has kind of summed up the the state of the art of – moon mission and moon exploration which is would do it like they got so much of it right but maybe just that last little bit hasn't quite gone right we don't know we don't know because we're still looking at a message that says please wait for a while very politely just 
back off, we're trying to figure out what's going on. Or worst case scenario, we're trying to figure out the right words to tell you that it's all gone horribly wrong. We'll see. And we will definitely, I mean, by the time this podcast goes up, we will definitely know one way or the other what has happened. And Indeed. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. But for now, big question mark. Indeed. We've watched this thing come down and land on the surface. We just don't know how well. So at this point in time, we're still hopeful, but... We're collectively here in the offices of Syzygy, keeping our fingers crossed for Slim and everyone who worked on it Mm. and is back there in mission control going, come on, give us something. And regardless of the outcome, honestly, the... um it's a, the mission's a success anyway, right? The mission is a success when it gets off the ground. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot many, has been many learned. Difficult things have been done already for this mission for it to get to this point, point. Yeah. and so there will be future success, I'm sure, and follow-up missions to this one. I'm just sad at the possibility that the two little rovery things didn't manage to get out. Like they'll be in there going, "Come on, this is my turn." Yeah. Well, look, if it doesn't work this time, they'll get another shot. I'm sure. Listen, yep, you can another one off eBay. <laughs> That's true, actually. We can all send one up. I still, look, if anyone out there wants to buy us one, seriously, we'd happily take it. Emily, if people wanted to get in touch with us and say, hey, I've bought you one of these little toys. What's your address? How do I send it to you? How do they get in touch with us? Well, our address is actually www.syzygy.fm. Yes, indeed. Well done. Our web address where they can find all sorts of things, including a contact form where they can send us a note saying... Seriously, I've got this in a box. I need to write an address on it. I want to send it to you. How do I do that? Get in touch with us. Um, And you never know if you've got a really interesting thought or comment or question. Might turn it into an entire episode. It has been done before. But the other ways that you can find us on the interwebs, we are on Instagram at SyzygyPod. And the nice thing is that with Instagram, you get threads for free. So we're over on threads as well at SyzygyPod. We're on Facebook. We are. Yeah, we're, we're of a certain age, so <laughs> that's that's typically where we are. Um, all you need to do is go into the Facebook search bar. That was quite hard to say fast. Uh, and just chuck in S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. We are also on YouTube. If you're the kind of person who likes to go to somewhere where you watch things in order to listen to something, then the podcast is connected to YouTube as well. All these links are in the show notes. Don't worry about it. It's easy. Listen, if you want to support the show, best way to do that is just to share it around and say there's this great show. You should listen to it. It's full of awesome cosmic wonderness. If you want to support us in a different way, you can go over to patreon.com slash syzygypod and throw a couple of bucks, a couple of pounds, a couple of quid our way every month to help us keep the electrons flowing through the website. Otherwise, Emily, we'll see you in a week or so's time-ish. Yep. And keep your fingers crossed for Little Slim. We will know by the time this podcast goes up, but we don't know yet. Yes. So to everyone over there in Japan working on this one feverishly behind the scenes, gambate. That's all I can say. Congratulations. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Emily. See you. Bye, everybody. Hi, Eto. まだあの状況確認中というレベルですのでえっともう少々お待ちくださいちょっと時間をかかっていますけれどもまだ状況が確認してないという状況ですのでもう少々お待ちください